Well, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Braden Brookshire. I have the honor and privilege of being the campus pastor of Newbrick Church at our Ocean Beach campus. If you're ever in the neighborhood, please do come say hi. It would be so great to meet you. Something I've been thinking about is how it's amazing how quickly kids learn. And it's also amazing how much they think they already know. So my son, Cairo, is almost three years old, and he thinks he knows how to get somewhere better than me. Now, does anyone else have kids in their life like that? They think they can get somewhere better than you? Yeah, bless their hearts, right? So we're driving to Tecolati Park uh, over on Mission Bay, and we call this Blue Park because it's primarily blue. It's been renovated and all that. And the way to get there from our house is, well, actually on the freeway, you pass it before the exit. So in Cairo's mind, he sees shortcut. So he's like, Dada, go over there. Turn that way. Dada, it's over there. Go that way. And, you know, which that would be fine and dandy, except if I followed his instructions, we would go off the freeway into our inevitable doom. So while I love my son's desire for efficiency, I have to coach him that, well, a car doesn't drive like a bird's eye view. So I'm driving and I have to do something like this. I'm like, hey, Cairo, that's a great idea, bud, but how about this? Let's go exit SeaWorld Drive. We'll turn right at the light, and without boring you with the rest of the directions, you get the point. I give him an overture of how we're going to get there. I communicate it so that I can put him at ease that we will indeed get to Blue Park and have so much fun-filled time of play, and it's going to be great. But I also feel like this is such a fitting picture of life with God, too. You see, it's amazing how quickly we learn, and it's amazing how much we think we know. See, we have a vision of where to go, and we think we're really good at telling God the best way to get us there. And oh gosh, like just the temerity of us and the courage and the audacity to tell God that we know the better way. But the Lord is so patient with us. I'm so thankful for that. And this leads us, though, right into the part of our Bible where we're going to be today. You see, if you've been with us, we've been going through the Gospel of John in this sermon series. And I don't know about you, but I have loved every second of it. So if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you, join us. If you have a physical Bible, yes. If you have your phone, that's great. Join us in John chapter 10, as that's going to be the passage we're in today. And as you turn there, I want to tell you something that, like, might just change your life. So you're like, what? What's that? Okay, John chapter 10 follows just after John chapter 9. And you're like, okay, really? Is this what we're learning today? Yeah, but follow me here. Like, if you think about it, the Bible didn't originally have chapters and verses in it. Like, John wasn't penning his gospel account with these verses and said, okay, now it's going to be John chapter 10. That came hundreds of years later. And they're helpful for memorizing scripture and locating where you are. But sometimes they can also see that we, it's not as jointed as it really is. You see, John chapter 9, last week's message, if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. It actually told a story of how Jesus met a man born blind. And Jesus restores this man's sight twofold. You see, he heals him physically of his sight, but then he does even the more profound healing. He opens his eyes spiritually to see him as he really is. Jesus, the Lord and Savior of his life. Now, of course, you have these uh, antagonists in the story. They're called the Pharisees, and they don't believe that Jesus really did this. Shocker. 
I mean, like the, the Pharisees are the classic haters and doubters in this sort of story. And Jesus has this confrontation with them where he basically tells them, no, you, you guys are the ones who are truly blind in this story. And he makes this example out of this once formerly blind person who was excommunicated out of the synagogue, out of the community. But Jesus welcomes him into his fold. See, Jesus is making a new community of people. And this formerly blind man who starts worshiping him is one of the first people in this new community. And so Jesus is going to contrast leadership of who the Pharisees are leading versus who he is leading. And that's where we pick up the story as he's going to tell some really great metaphors. So join me as we read in verse 1 right here, John chapter 10. This is Jesus continuing the narrative. He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now pause there for a second. We're talking shepherds, and I don't know about you. Maybe you're probably not seeing shepherds on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. But by the way, if you are, if you're tuned in watching this, and you see shepherds where you are, that's awesome. Please comment where you're from, because that's really cool. I've seen a shepherd in action before. In fact, I was driving through Ireland one time, and a shepherd jumped into the street. I'll tell you about that in a few minutes here. But shepherds are still a very common part of our world. I mean, it's not just in the ancient world that Jesus is speaking to these people knowing that shepherds are something that they would understand. It, the sheep have been important in agriculture for a long time for their wool and other reasons. And so shepherd, they herd sheep, they take care of sheep. And Jesus brings in this analogy of a shepherd and how he is like that. But he also brings in this other description here of the sheep pen. Now, what do you picture with the sheep pen? Well, you can picture it this way. It's like this round enclosure that's open air, though, open air enclosure that has a particular entrance that either the shepherd or a trusted worker can get in and out of. This provided a safe place for the sheep in the midst of going out for pasture. So it was really important that they had this that they can return to. Now, that was verses one and two here. Now we have some context. Let's read verse three. The gatekeeper opens it, opens the pen for him, the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out uh, all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. We'll come back to that idea. Verse five, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. And Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. You see, of course they didn't understand because they're actually the, the point. Jesus has been pointing it against the Pharisees saying, no, I'm actually making a rhetorical point against you. Your leadership is not like mine. People aren't following you because you're not actually leading them the right way. You're more like the thieves and the robbers in this story. So he's going to double down in what he says here in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And here's an I am statement in verse 9. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will come in and go out and find pasture. Oh man, so we see right here that Jesus is contrasting the Pharisees who are acting like thieves in this story actually. And he wants to lead people like sheep to green pastures where they can flourish, where they can thrive, they can have a great life. And if Jesus wants to lead us through life though, there's something we need to know. Something that's pretty imperative for us. We have to know the voice of the good shepherd. 
I love this. There was a, uh, several years ago, there was a case where one shepherd accused another of stealing his sheep. I know, kind of wild. Following that court case would be a lot of fun, right? And so one shepherd apparently steals the other, allegedly. So they go through this whole process, right? You hear from both sides. They have witnesses. They display uh, supposed evidence. But the, the judge has a brilliant idea. He opens the doors in the back And there is the sheep that's being disputed about. And he tells the plaintiff, he looks at the plaintiff and he says, Hey, you, you say this man stole your sheep. Call your sheep. And so he starts making some calls. He starts uh, chanting some names and so on. And uh, the sheep doesn't move an inch. So then the judge looks to the defendant and says, Hey, you say this is your sheep. You say he's lying. This is your sheep. Call your sheep. So he makes some sounds. He calls it out by name. And the sheep comes right away to him. And therefore, case closed. We know the verdict. Why? Because sheep are awesome creatures. You should do some research on sheep this week. You'll find it's a little bit like humbling that we're compared to sheep in some ways. But it's also really cool because sheep are loyal. When they know their master's voice, they follow it. I mean, they follow it without reservation. It's like what we see in this passage right here in verses 3 and 4. You see, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And he calls them by name, leads them out. And then look at the end of this verse. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. See, he calls his sheep by name. I want you to know today that you are not just one human being amongst however many billion people on the planet. God knows your name. And your name is sacred on his lips. He loves you so much. Like you are, he has so much love for you. You can't even fathom it. And this whole idea just reminds me so much of another passage in scripture in Isaiah 43 verse 1, where the Lord says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. See, personal knowledge and personal relationship exist between the shepherd and the sheep. And that's what makes this metaphor so memorable, in my opinion, at least. Like, the fact that Christ's voice as the shepherd leads means that he's near. He stays close enough to be heard. And this reminds me of something that happened at SeaWorld. Uh, We live in San Diego, so I go to SeaWorld with my son. And he he started climbing into this little um, enclosure right here. So it had this, like, barrel-shaped thing for kids to climb in. Adults, really hard to climb into. But it's kind of unique in how it was designed. So it's this barrel-shaped thing, and it goes behind what was this little aquarium where you can see the fish. So technically speaking, when your child enters through here, before they meet you at the exit point, you can actually see them through like all the fishies swimming around inside the aquarium. It's really cool, actually. But my son doesn't usually want to do these kinds of things, but this time he did. So I'm like, heck yes, Cairo, go on, go on. And so he jumps inside, and then within seconds of him entering, tons of kids flood the exhibit. I mean, like, all of a sudden we have 20 kids who are trying to get inside both sides of this little barrel-shaped enclosure. And so my son, I can see it through the, like, foggy way of looking through the aquarium. He starts to panic. He starts to, his shoulders are moving uh, rapidly, and you can tell. I can't hear him, but I can see that he's calling out from me. He's, Dada, where are you? I can sense it. And so uh, I go to the exit on the other side. I'm like, okay, I said I'd meet him right here. So I said, okay, well, Cairo, follow my voice, son. Cairo, I'm right here, buddy. Follow me. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. You know where to go. Yes, come here, Cairo. Come here. And then sure enough, of course, what? The the fact that he knew, I mean, not only did he know where to go, obviously, that wasn't the difficult part here. 
He just followed my voice for assurance. See, my voice as his dad provided comfort for him that he was on the right track. And that's how Jesus is. He, he wants to stay near. He wants you to hear his voice. So I just want to ask you say, like, or, or I guess propose to you, maybe if you can't hear the Lord's voice in your life, maybe you've wandered off. But instead of this being like some sort of thing of coming at you and condemning you or making you feel bad, no, this is an invitation. Like, just call out the fact that maybe like, you know what, Lord? I'm listening to this message right now and I know I feel far from you. Like, could you come find me? He's the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. He wants to find you. He wants to lead you back to the flock to where you can hear his voice and follow his leading again. But I also want to caution that like hearing God's voice isn't the only litmus test of like what it's like to be near to the shepherd. See, many Christ followers, uh, maybe you're one of them, who have seasons of perceived silence from God. And that's okay too. In fact, this past week for me has been straight to the point. See, I've been praying for like hours and hours and hours for guidance on something for my wife and I, just in our personal lives to navigate. And when it comes to seeking the Lord's guidance, there are times I'm praying about something and whether uh, quickly or over the course of several weeks or whatever, we'll get guidance on it, right? Well, this time has been to no avail so far. So I haven't heard anything yet, even though my wife and I have been praying about this in some way, shape, or form for like over a year now. But here's the thing, even in this perceived silence from God, where I I haven't quite heard the direction, I haven't heard the shepherd's voice of where to go yet on this, this time in prayer is always worth it. Why? Why? How could it be worth it if if what you're seeking guidance and you're not getting guidance? Because there's something that happens still there. You know, see, in these times, the Lord is still giving me, he's he's giving me his peace in those times. And I'm not talking the kind of peace that you can get from some self-help, self-help methods. The Lord is giving the peace that surpasses understanding. And oh my gosh, I can tell you right now, it is so good. It's so calming. It's so reassuring because even though it's like I'm trying to have the shepherd tell me where we're going next, he's not telling me where we're going next in this particular way. But what he is doing by giving me his peace, it's like he's resting his arm on me and saying, hey, I'm here with you. I'm near. And you're here with me. We're good. I might not tell you yet, but keep trusting me. And that's the beauty of it is even when we can't hear the voice of God, he is always near, whether we can feel it or not, whether we can hear his voice or not. But with that said, like I mentioned already, there are plenty of times when I'm seeking the Lord's guidance and he does provide that. And I believe there's particular strategies that might be helpful to actually hearing the voice of the Lord in your life. So I'm going to give you a few, but first clarification. When I talk about hearing the voice of the Lord, I'm not necessarily talking about the audible voice that sounds like Morgan Freeman, okay? Like that's not necessarily the case. I'm talking about something that a voice that is distinct. It's not your own voice inside but it is internal. It's distinct, but it's also familiar. Hey, if you know, you know, and I pray that you do know as well. But here's a few strategies of how you and how I can listen to the voice of Jesus. So the first one is this, we got to find space for silence. And this is really hard in today's day and age because we have two kinds of noise that are coming after us, external noise and internal noise. But I'll tell you this, too much noise, too much hurry, this will stifle your ability to hear from God. So muting external noise and muting internal noise, muting external noise, quick thing on that. Just find a quiet place. 
Like whatever that looks like for you, that might be a part of your house you love to go to. It might be a part of your yard. It might be a space in your car. And this is just a note for those of you with kids and those of you who are married. One of the great ways you can serve your spouse is to communicate some ways that you're going to give them space for this. Like, hey, babe, like I know you hardly are ever getting any peace and quiet. I'm going to give you 30 minutes, and you can count on that. At this day and time, I'm going to give you 30 minutes where you can go and find space for silence. And don't just scroll through Instagram during this time. If you serve each other this way, or if you're able to find this kind of silence as an individual, don't just use it to scroll Instagram or something like that. Actually sit in the silence. And now here's the second part to that. If you have to mute the external noise, you have to mute the internal noise. And this is so much harder because... If the goal is to hear from Jesus, then I don't want to just hear my own thoughts oscillating around my mind over and over again. We got to put a pause on the to-do list. The to-do list will never end. Maybe you got to have a notepad with you and just jot it down. Like, you know what? Yeah, I do need to call the dentist. So you write that down so you could just put that aside and get rid of it. But you got to enjoy that silence and get used to it a little bit. Because God is so fluent in the unique dialect of your soul, but it takes just unwinding, unhurrying, and sitting in the quiet to even begin to get to familiar with the distinct but strangely familiar voice of God. Now, next thing on this is if we got to hear Jesus's voice, find space for silence. Yes, but get scripture in you. Scripture is God's word. We know that. It's the template of how to discern the voice of God in our lives because it will never, ever, ever, ever go beyond what scripture says. And, And you know what? I love the way Pete Gregg, he's an author. He wrote a really helpful book called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I've read it twice. I love it. I'm definitely going to read it again, in fact. But he says, this in this book. When it comes to hearing God, the Bible is the language of his heart. Nothing he says in any other way, in any other context will ever override, undermine, or contradict what he has said in the scriptures. So that's the important thing is you need to get scripture in you because that's going to get you familiar with the voice of God because that is God's word. So here's the challenge for you. If you can memorize scripture, do it. Memorize scripture because the Holy Spirit will bring that to memory and will even apply that to your lives. But then there's some of you who I know say, hey, I can't memorize things. I wasn't really good at school. That's okay. Guess what you can do? You can paraphrase that to meet, like the, let's internalize the meaning of that message and make it your own. But the point is you got to get the word of God in you. You're going to hear God speak to you so much through it. Now next, these last two, I got to admit, are so personal to me and I hope they help you as well. Spend less time on technology and more time outside. I know this might sound crazy, but what if just putting away all the devices and getting outdoors actually does something to open up our receptivity to being aware, decluttering our mind, and just changing our scenery and therefore our perspective to actually hear from God? Try it. Watch how much it helps. Because the iPhone and all the other smart devices, these are tools, but even tools have to be put away sometimes. And lastly, but not least, make listening for God's voice a posture, not a to-do. And I say this because guess what? This is going to be hard at first. If this is new for you, let me just encourage you to not give up. See, there's a fascinating thing that I've learned about shepherds. They note that if they acquire a new sheep, that they, it takes a while for that sheep to get to, used to this shepherd's voice. You see, this, shepherd, this sheep was once taken care of by someone else. And so now having a new shepherd, they might even go hungry for a few days. They might not even take care of themselves really well because they're not used to the leading of this shepherd. 
Well, how much more for us? I mean, if you are new to Jesus, or if you're at least just new to hearing him and approaching him as your good shepherd, well, it's going to take time to get to know his voice in your life. So be patient, be encouraged, and it's always so worth it. But when it comes to knowing Jesus' voice, it's not about just knowing it, because it's not just like knowledge that sticks in our head. We don't, we're not just going to hear his voice. We have to heed his voice. We have to follow the voice of the good shepherd. I mean, to put it this way, what good are directions in your GPS if you just ignore them? (laughs) In a similar way, the role of the shepherd is to speak. The role of the sheep is to respond. It's like what we saw in this passage. We already read verse four, but this is worth putting up there again. When he has brought out all his own outside, that's the shepherd, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. But guess what? It's not just the knowing, it's the following. Look at that. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, honest question for all of us here, like whose voice do you follow? Maybe you aren't aware of this, but newsflash, there are competing voices trying to lead you. There are. And like, I think some of us sometimes think that like your soul is some kind of island that's uninfluenced by people or spiritual forces around you. A newsflash again, that's not the case. We're being imprinted on every single day. There is stuff being is spoken over us and spoken to us. And whether you're conscious of it or not, stuff is landing, stuff is resonating from the people you interact with to the songs you listen to, the social media you consume. And so my question to you is, where are those voices leading you? Like, do you even know where those voices are guiding you because they're leading you somewhere. And how about this? Like, do you at least know who's the shepherd you are following? Because here's the great thing about Jesus. Even if you don't know where this next path leads in this next season, if you're following Jesus, you can trust the journey. Why? Because he is good. And that's going to lead us into, as we continue reading this passage, this is what it says next as we continue. And just to recap, we closed off at verse 9. We're going to pick up in verse 10. But in verse 9, we saw that Jesus wants to lead his sheep to green pastures. Now think about it this way. That is great. You want green pastures. But what happens too when you're not in the sheep pen anymore? You're vulnerable. Because out in the open, in the unknown, although you're heading towards the promised land of green pastures, There's thieves, there's wolves. So Jesus will have a warning, but also an encouragement for us in verse 10. So a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But here's the contrast. I have come so that they, my sheep, may have life and life in abundance. And now when you think of abundance, I think of that passage in Psalm 23 where it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That's abundance and overflowing life in that way. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. There's another I am statement. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. And the wolf then snatches and scatters them. Pause right there real quick. This is the hired hand. And the reason why is he's committed to the job until adversity comes, right? But why? Because he has no personal connection to the sheep. He doesn't own them. They're not his, they're just part of the task. But for Jesus, our good shepherd, he sees us as his prized possession. And that makes all the difference. Pick it up in verse 14 right here. But I am the good shepherd. He doubles down on that. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there there will be one flock, one shepherd. And this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I might take it up again. And he's talking prophetically about what's going to happen with his death and his resurrection. So verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again because I have received this command from my father. And again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? But others were saying, well, these aren't the words of someone who's demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Remember, it's drawing back on John chapter 9. And sometime ellipses, sometime passes, because when verse 22 ensues, it's now winter time. So verse 22, then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. As if he hasn't already so many times, right? Like every single chapter of John tells us this, right? So verse 25, I did tell you and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Whew, that hurts. But verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch, snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Man, what a beautiful passage. Read that, reflect on it over and over again. But here's what you are to do today with this. As a shepherd of the sheep, guess what your job is? To rest in the care of the good shepherd. That's what it comes down to. Resting in his care. Like you're endearing to God if you're his sheep. He cares about you. He's good and he's good to you. And I just got to say, I think the word for good in this passage doesn't quite catch the full justice of it. So at least if some of you guys are used to my communication style, especially those who see me at the Ocean Beach campus, we probably nerd out about something in the original language at least once every single week. So here it is for you. Here's where we're going to nerd out. Did you know in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, there's two primary words for good, okay? Okay? There's two. First is agathos. If you say that out loud, that is a fun word to say, agathos. That is good as in moral or virtuous. So it's a very ethical kind of good, right? But then there's another kind of word for good. It's, it's kalos. Kalos is good as in beautiful, as in compelling. Now, when Jesus says he's the good shepherd in this passage, every single time, the word for good behind there is kalos. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the kalos shepherd. See, what he's saying is that he, he is beautiful, not necessarily describing his, like how attractive his appearance is or something like that, but it's describing his character. He is compelling. He's wonderful. He's irresistible. Now, typically speaking, shepherds probably like their sheep. They do. Shepherds have a, a, like a knack for taking care of their sheep. But their sheep are a means to an end. Like vocationally, they provide a living, but they're not worth dying for. But that's what makes Jesus so entirely different. He's the good shepherd in an entirely parallel way. Think about it like this. His sheep are not a means to some self-serving end. They are the end by which he will, by any means necessary, protect and provide for them. 
And I think that's because he's not just some kind of human shepherd who's going to let you down inevitably. Like, sorry to admit it to you, but as a human being, I'm going to let you down. And the person next to you is going to let you down too. But Jesus is saying he's more than that. This is another I am statement in John's Gospels. He's saying, I am the good shepherd in a way that no one else is able to say. He is uniquely qualified to fulfill this role. And so this is another example of him affirming his deity. He's saying that he is Yahweh yet again. He's saying that he's the God of Israel coming to not just reclaim Israel, but the whole world. Not just a sheep of one kind, one race, one language, one culture, all of that. He's saying, no, no, no. I'm making a new kind of people who's united under my care as the shepherd. And he's also saying this like, hey, remember that famous passage? What's that one called? Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. And so I'm like, he's saying, I am him. In fact, you can read all of Psalm 23 with the name of Jesus and it would be just as true because Jesus is the Lord. He is the I am. He is the good shepherd. So in fact, we're going to pause real quick and just read Psalm 23 and inputting Jesus's name there a few times. And it says this. So Psalm 23 says, um, the Lord Jesus is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Jesus lets me rest in green meadows. Jesus leads me beside peaceful streams. Jesus renews my strength. Jesus guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you, Jesus, are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord Jesus forever. Do you see how beautiful that passage is? Like, you know, maybe you've read Psalm 23 before, but maybe you haven't drawn the connection that Jesus is claiming to be that Lord for you. So is he your shepherd? It's important you answer this question because if you look back at John chapter 10, where we were, there's a, there's a sort of conflict here. Because a thief comes to still kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that they, those who trust in me, may have life and life in the abundance. Because I am the good shepherd. So here, there's an offer for you. Because beware, there's an enemy who wants to ruin your life. And in context, to be honest, like Jesus is actually calling out the Pharisees a little bit here. So he's saying, hey, there's some who have said they're leading you on the right path, but they're actually leading you astray. But although he's calling out the Pharisees, he's doing something even more. Because he knows that underneath it, the Pharisees are just blind. They've fallen blind to the one who's the archetypal enemy of all of our souls. We call him the devil. You might call him Satan. You might call him the enemy enemy but he's also called the thief and he comes to sift and destroy you. So let me just ask you, and I mean this in all honesty, you need to think about this. How will you hold up when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you? Like who's going to stand up to the thieves and the wolves when they surround you with ill intentions? And this is important because if he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, only a shepherd can protect you. And I'm sorry, but if you think you're the captain of your own soul, uh, well, don't want you to think too highly of yourself. You're more like a sheep than you are some autonomous warrior. And you might think, okay, no worries. Well, I'm just living my truth. Well, your truth is going to be used against you by this enemy. Okay, you might think, well, you know, I'm just a spiritual person and it's all going to pan out. No, your spirituality will be shown to be a glass house that breaks into a million pieces. Those things will not work. Your life will be stolen, killed, and destroyed by this enemy. 
But here's why I implore to you, consider how good the good shepherd is. Here's four things that's so good about Jesus as our good shepherd. As our good shepherd, these things, he guards and guides us. See, you need a shepherd who's not going to just lead you somewhere, but is going to guard you. Not just to provide for you, but to protect you. Not just to direct you, but to defend you. Do you see the point here? (laughs) You need someone who's stronger than you to lead you. And so here's the, this ties just with that. Our good shepherd, he's tender towards his sheep, but fierce toward adversaries. So fierce towards the wolves and the thieves that come after you. Like, I think some of us picture Jesus as the good shepherd with some paintings that make him look like some delicate, well-groomed shepherd who's just holding a sheep. Okay, but you got to know, shepherds are brave. They're vigilant. They are, oh man, you do not mess with shepherds who especially like their sheep. And Jesus being said, he will lay down his life for a sheep. You don't want to go to war with this man. Now, here's the thing. Shepherds have a rich heritage in biblical history. Does anyone here maybe remember David? Oh yeah, you know, that greatest king in all of Israel. Well, how did David get his start before becoming the king of Israel? Well, he was a shepherd. Okay, well, why was this valuable for him? Well, I remember a time, a story, when there's a famous story called David and Goliath. And man, enough people, it doesn't matter if you've been to church once in your life, you've probably heard that story in some way, shape, or form. Well, when David goes to King Saul, who was the king at the time, and gives him his qualifications as to why he is able to face Goliath head on. He tells him about how he's a shepherd. And he knew what it was like to be out in the wild. And to fend off lions and bears and wolves. And he said, hey, if I can do that to protect the sheep, how much more am I going to go defend God's honor to this Philistine that's mocking God? Whew. And this is little shepherd boy. Now, this is a good example of how much more. How much more is Jesus a strong shepherd? How much more do you want to have him on your side? He can fend off more than just lions and bears and wolves. He's that good. But here's the next one that's kind of important for us to remember. Our good shepherd will not shelter us from dark valleys in life, but he will shepherd us through them. This one became personal to me because I have even a prayer journal entry where I I felt like Jesus was speaking to me, giving me this reminder. And I wrote down, I remember writing, it was like Jesus was saying, I can't promise there won't be dark valleys, but I can promise a passageway through them. And if you go back to Psalm 23, we will have dark valleys, but we have Jesus to lead us through. We will have enemies, but he'll prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Like, do you get the point? Like, our lives will not be problem-free, but they will be purpose-filled. And I don't know about you, but I actually don't consider myself a person who worries that easily. But when I became a parent— Well, that kind of changed in my life. And now maybe I am someone who worries all the time because I have a new set of worries. But let me speak to you parents for a second here. Or in fact, you that have any kids that you care about in your life, which I think is every single one of you. We're not able to shelter our children from the dark valleys. But we can show them how Jesus wants to shepherd them through there. Through every dark valley they walk through, Jesus wants to take them through. So that fact, I I think that relieves me a little bit because my job isn't to shelter my kids through the pains of this life. First of all, no one in the history of parenting has succeeded at doing that. And second of all, sometimes those crucibles in life, those dark valleys are part of maturing in our spiritual formation. So what's my philosophy as a parent? To connect my kids to the good shepherd who wants to shepherd them through the dark valleys. So instead of acting like they don't exist, 
I'm determined to teach them how to live where the wild things are and show them that their good shepherd knows the way through it. He's that good. And this takes us to the last one because through this life and through the end, Jesus gives us eternal life. Eternal life. A few weeks ago, maybe you've heard the way we like to unpack eternal life here is eternal life is unending communion with God. Unending communion with God. And it's in his presence and in his blessing. And this starts now. It really does. It's not just some future hope. It's a present reality because it's his presence in the dark valleys. It's his presence on the mountaintops. And it's his presence now. It's his presence in the eternal kingdom. It's his presence always with us as the good shepherd. And you don't have to wait to have that. Like, consider Jesus' verse here as we close right here with these verses. In John 10, 27 through 28, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they will follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Highlight, circle, or underline that word never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Like notice how much Jesus is the initiator. He says he will do these things. We're taking him at his word. We are following him. And here's this insight I kind of want to bring to your table as we close with this. Never, in this Greek, in the Greek right here, or the original Greek, it's ume. These are two words that say no. No, no. Now in English, that's just bad grammar. In, in Greek, this is how you double down on what you're saying. When you say no, no, you're saying no, not ever. Never, ever, ever. You see, that's how secure we are, that even death itself has become a passageway, a rite of passage into the eternal kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? How good is that? That's how good our shepherd is, that even the, the death itself, the thing we are afraid of the most, is something he can lead us through. And so that, this is the thing. This is, he says, no one can snatch you from his hand. That's a strong shepherd. That's who I want to trust with my life. That's who I want to trust with my eternity, because the eternal life he offers is invincible. It can't be taken. Like when the enemy comes from you, comes for you, and guess what? The enemy will come for you. If you are Jesus' sheep, he says this, over my dead body. <laughs> you know what's kind of ironic about that? Jesus does give his dead body. He even calls it out in this passage that he lays down his life. It's not taken from him. He puts it down points forward to the cross and the resurrection. Because spoiler alert, he doesn't stay dead. So when the enemy comes and he says, over my dead body, he dies for you to secure your hope, secure your eternity. But guess what? Since he didn't stay dead, the enemy comes again and Jesus says, now over my resurrected body, my invincible, indestructible body, you can't kill me, I'm already dead. And these sheep, good luck getting to them because you have to get through me. That's who I want as my shepherd. I want you to have the shepherd because if you are held by this shepherd, the thief cannot lay a hand on you. So I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to know that your only job today, man, we're church. We love preaching. We love to give you the list of things to do. Your only job today is to respond to his voice and rest in his grip. That's your job. So let me pray for you today as we close out. Lord, I recognize that people are listening to this in a variety of situations, in a variety of places. But right now, God, your word is going out to people. And Lord, this person who's listening, I pray you reach them right now. Lord, if, 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 you are the, if you're the person listening to this right now and you have not made the Lord Jesus your good shepherd, I pray that you just surrender your life to him. If you're comfortable just opening up your hands in a posture of surrender and saying, Lord, here's my heart. I give you my life. 
You gave your life for me. I will follow you. You are a trustworthy shepherd. And in that moment, you are a sheep in his fold. And he, he says to the enemy over my dead body, can you have me? For those of you that have been following Jesus, I pray that this rings true for you, that you walk in closeness and proximity to his voice. And I pray that you hear it, you heed it, and you respond to it, and you find the green pastures he wants to lead you to. So God bless you guys. Thanks for listening in and follow his voice and respond to him as you go. God bless you.